Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Love It or Leave It. I'm John Lovett. We have got a fantastic show that we recorded in Milwaukee coming your way, but we wanted to start by updating you on some of the big stories that happened this week. So I am joined in studio by, you know... (laughs) Hi, John. I'm it's John, John Favreau. I'm John Favreau. You know, listen. I was trying to. Th- I was trying to come up with something. I had nothing. Thank you for having me. We have a great show coming up with Angela Lang, Ben Wickler, and Akila Hughes. We recorded it in Milwaukee. It's one of my favorite shows. We had a great time in the Midwest. Uh, this will be our last show, and then we're taking a two-week break because I need to lose some cheese curd weight. It just got ahead of me. It got out of control. You can spend those two weeks that you would have spent on Love It or Leave It losing the cheese curd weight. That's mainly the focus. Um, I also want to catch up on uh, Game of Thrones, and that's really the bulk of it. Cool. You know, cheese curd weight in Game of Thrones. Um, but before uh, we get to the show from Milwaukee, John is here. We're going to talk about some of the big stories that happened this week. We have to start uh, with a tragic story. Earlier this week, a white supremacist committed a horrific terrorist attack in the New Zealand city of Christchurch, murdering at least 49 people, mostly Muslims, during Friday prayer. A lot of people are talking about this and talking about uh, the racist and international white supremacy that's informing this attack. But Kevin Roos in the New York Times also wrote an article about just how aware this terrorist was of how his actions would be interpreted online, talking about it as a truly online crime. The killer referenced PewDiePie in a live stream of the shooting, blamed Fortnite, an irony-soaked manifesto of his beliefs. He was determined to talk about his shooting in a way that would be perceived by the media and his white supremacist friends on the internet uh, in a way that would be uh, favorable to how he views this online subculture of white supremacists. John, what did you think of that Kevin Roos story, and what was your reaction to how this attack unfolded? I mean, before this attack even happened, I'd been thinking about how a couple of weeks ago the FBI captured uh, this guy who had been in the Coast Guard here in the United States who had planned to, also white nationalist, right-wing extremist, who planned to kill Democratic officials, media figures. And it was maybe like a day-long news cycle, not even. None of the Democratic presidential candidates commented on it. Certainly, I mean... Trump didn't comment on it. The administration basically tried to bury the report. Yeah. And then we go into a couple of weeks of like everyone arguing about Ilhan Omar <laughs> nonstop. And we still don't talk about this problem that we have in this country now and all over the world where there is this rise of white nationalism, extremism, uh, terrorism linked to extremism and white nationalism. And so much of it is fueled. Some of it's fueled by people like Donald Trump. Some, you know, the alt-right, and then some of it is fueled by sort of these online communities that this shooter was part of. And it is a gigantic problem right now that we are just not talking enough about. It is this international movement. Donald Trump is part of it. Steve Bannon has been talking about it and connecting the nationalist nativist parties in Europe to the United States. An Australian politician put out a truly despicable statement basically blaming the attack 
on immigration and on Muslims, implying that this was some kind of a justified or at least in part justifiable response. There's a strange way in which we, in every one of these attacks, we kind of elevate the cause that this person is always using. And it's like, you know, whenever somebody does something like this, whether it's a a mass shooting in a school, the synagogue attack, what we've seen recently, there's always, it seems to me, like these sort of three justifications. You know, one, these people seem to want glory and attention. Two, they want to do violence. They want to kill people and hurt people. They have that desire. And then the third is their justification, whatever it may be. And I don't know how we grapple with an internet culture in which these kinds of people, these kinds of people in search of this narcissistic and violent outcome to their lives can always find a subculture that feeds their hate, that feeds their bigotry. And I don't think anybody has an answer. Uh, They don't. I think we need to talk more about the roots of radicalization and extremism and why it's been on the rise. And this is a problem that predates Donald Trump and that will be with us long after Donald Trump leaves the scene. I was speaking about this today and I was like, I hope our candidates talk about this. And a couple of people were like, well, Hillary Clinton gave a speech in, in 2016 about how Trump is fanning the flames of the alt-right and is, you know has all these associations with the alt-right. And you know she was criticized as sensationalist for doing it. And I was like, you know, yes, she did. And like, good for Hillary. It was a very strong denunciation of Donald Trump's culpability in fanning this extremism. But it wasn't a look at sort of the roots of this extremism that predate Donald Trump. And I haven't heard any politician of either party, well, obviously not the Republican Party, but in the Democratic Party, either here or around the world, really wrestle with this. Yeah. Like, why are these people being radicalized? What is it about these online networks, whether it's, you know, feeding people social isolation or whatever else? Like, people aren't born racist, right? They're not born extremists. What is making them this way? And we've seen throughout our history, there's certain periods in history where it sort of bubbles up and it becomes a bigger problem than in other periods. And like, I think we have to have a conversation about why it happens and what to do to stop it. And I don't think just calling out Donald Trump, while necessary, is sufficient in trying to figure out. How to yeah, it. it almost feels like it's one third. Of the, like it's like, yeah, one, we need to talk about the, the racist fear mongering and anti-Muslim sentiment being expressed by people like Donald Trump and people part of this sort of white supremacist movements around the world. Two, we need to talk about the role of companies, whether it's YouTube and Google, Twitter, Facebook, you know, Reddit and all the other places where these kinds of communities can fester um, and and go unchecked and how the algorithms can reward extremism. And then three, we do need to have this conversation about the isolation, the social isolation of boys and men who seek out this kind of glory and attention. Anyway, it's just a sad story. It's a very sad story. It's horrific. And I just I don't think This is one of those things that we just, you know, by tomorrow we're talking about the next flare up on social media or, you know, in political campaigns. Like, I I think that every Democratic candidate should make discussing this problem uh, a key part of their everyday campaign. All right. So that is what happened in New Zealand. Uh, There were a lot of other stories that happened this week. And actually, one of the reasons I was excited about having a conversation before the Milwaukee show is because so much fucking insane shit happened this week. Some of the, I would say, most entertaining and absurd news stories of the year. Yeah. Uh, also, some bad people got some pretty significant comeuppance. And comeuppance is the bread and butter of love or leave it. <laughs> All right. This is a comeuppance based economy. It's the token of the realm. Comeuppance. There you go. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to run through some of the biggest stories of the week. We're going to put a two-minute counter on every single one. 
Elise is on the ones and twos. She's going to start the counter. We're going to run through the big stories. Elisa, start the clock. We got two minutes. Topic one, Beto O'Rourke, congressman and supposedly our best friend, Beto O'Rourke, announced his campaign for president and then jumped on top of a lot of counters in Iowa. John, how's he doing? Uh, There's two stories about Beto O'Rourke right now, right? There's one story of like this guy that a lot of people don't know who's running for president and he goes to Iowa and all these people are asking him, you know, very legitimate questions like, what's your experience? Why are you cut out for this job? What's your position on a bunch of issues, right? And they're having this conversation with him. And then there's this, like, the national media has sort of lost its mind a little bit. Like, first of all, there's, like, roadblock coverage. So he's getting a lot more coverage than other people. But then there's, like, a lot of reporters who are just, like, openly hostile for, like, reasons that are not, like, like I said, there's there's legitimate questions he has to answer, right, as someone with as little experience as him, right? Like, what are your positions? Why do you have this job? Blah, blah, blah. And those are all good. And then there's just some of the stuff on Twitter has just been, holy shit. Well, it's, you know what? It's very much like the positive coverage, I think, at times has been silly positive, And the negative coverage has been silly That's negative. Right. That's and right. meanwhile, there's just a person out there who is answering questions from people. Now, do I think his healthcare answers uh, could use some improvement? Absolutely. You can't be for the Bernie plan when you're running against Ted Cruz and then say you're not sure about the Bernie plan when you're running against Bernie. <laughs> like, like no. figure it out. You, I think you can. You have to explain what your thinking is, yeah. right? Like you can't. I think what he. I think what he's learning is, on something like this, someone asks you a question, you shout an answer. It's going on Twitter. Like you got to think these things out. All of these candidates have evolved on a million different positions, but you got to be careful in how you say it. Especially when your candidacy, one of the criticisms and one of the legitimate questions is, okay, you're appealing. There are people who genuinely want you to prove that you're worth investing time and resources and their votes, and they want to know that the substance is there. Those are the those questions. Are- I guess I can finish my answer. Yeah, you can. And it is my we'll show. Gi- we'll give it to you. That if the if the concern is whether or not there's going to be substance, you need to be ready for the substantive questions. That's yep. all. Um, all right. Next topic. Elisa, let's start us up again. After two separate plane crashes involving the new line of Boeing jets, the 737 MAX 8, every country in the world beside the United States grounded the plane. After a few days of pressure, the FAA finally admitted there might be a problem and agreed to halt all flights of the 737 MAX 8. Uh, John. Uh, no thank you to this story. <laughs> Next. I got in trouble for saying that the FAA, before they grounded it, uh, were creating a kind of new Momo-like challenge for teams, the 737 MAX 8 challenge. Uh, and people thought that that was in bad taste. And you're right. It was in bad taste. It's but honestly, stickable. the FAA was about to put us all in a big fucking experiment. So I'm glad they grounded this thing, especially because it was like the crashes sounded similar. And then there were reports of pilots being like, yeah, you turn on the autopilot, the thing turns into a fucking roller coaster. And then a lot of people were like, if I get on a 737 MAX 8, what am I going to do? Get off the plane. Get off the plane. I'm not getting on any more planes. <laughs> we're How's going, that? You're like I'm Whoopi grounding Goldberg them all. Now. You're like Whoopi Goldberg now. You're going to leave five days before us, take a bus give to me my, Boston. Give me my John Madden bus. I'm going. <laughs> See you in Boston. Turduckins. Turduckins. What? Doesn't John Madden around a big game make turduckins? Oh, oh. Here's the point. All right. <laughs> <laughs> they got to they gotta check out these 737 Max 8s, all right? They got to look under those hoods, all right? They got to check the oil. <laughs> they got to get in there, all right? Make sure the washer Did fluid you, is full. <laughs> the worst was when Trump finally defi- decided to ground them. There's a bunch of them in the air, and they're like, all right, land all the planes. Land all the planes in the air that carefully, might crash. Carefully. If I was on that plane, it would have landed, but I wouldn't have been alive. That no, there would have been. That's it. I would have been, been uh, your go- There would have been right a, on the plane. You John have to Favreau. drag me off the plane. There would have been a John Favreau-shaped hole in the fucking fuselage. Right, I would have, yeah. <laughs> where you ran out of that thing like a Tasmanian devil. <laughs> Next topic. Paul Manafort, a man who committed... Uh, 
I think something approaching light treason. <laughs> a lot of crimes. Was sentenced again by a Lost federal track court. Of the crimes. His time was nearly doubled to seven and a half years. John, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's going away for a long time. And he's 70, so that's quite a while. And also it's pardon-proof now because as he was charged, uh, New York State unveiled 16 counts against him, another 16 counts. <laughs> Everywhere he turns, he's getting in trouble for more crimes that he committed. I think for Josh the, Barrow said he got the EGOT for crimes. <laughs> you know who doesn't look great is, uh, is Judge Ellis, the first guy to sentence him, who said uh, other than all the crimes he's committed, he's lived an otherwise blameless life. Yeah, except that it's like every other month of his life he committed a crime. What are you talking about? A blameless life. A blameless, except, except for the 30 crimes I've been charged with? The tens of millions hidden offshore accounts. He was receiving cash payments in a book called The Black Ledger in Ukraine about overthrowing a democratically elected government. And that's on the good side. That's on the legal part. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. After being rebuked in the House and by a handful of Republicans in the Senate for his fake national emergency, Donald Trump issued his first veto of his presidency. It is done. He has issued the veto. John, what did you make of the Republicans who joined the Democrats? And what does it say about one senator in particular, Senator Ben Sass, constitutional conservative, that he was not able to muster the same political courage as Marco Rubio? I never had any kind of belief in Ben Sass as some sort of fucking moral figure who rose above the party at all. I, I was more interested in Cory Gardner, who is almost assuredly going to lose his seat in 2020 because he's uh, in a blue state, and Tom Tillis, who could have a tough race in North Carolina. They had both said that they were going to vote against the declaration, and then they flipped last minute. It just goes to show that like the political dynamic has not changed at all, that these people, even as they face tough reelections in 2020, are still worried more about a challenge from the right and Donald Trump than they are about losing their seat, which they are probably going to do, at least especially Gardner. I don't understand it. The Tillis thing, like, why did your calculation change? You he wrote, wrote a fucking op-ed. op-ed. He wrote an op-ed about it. Don't, and don't people ch- know that op-eds are binding? They're binding. They're more... <laughs> this is, you break the oath of the op-ed. Uh, the op-ed oath page. breaker. You're not going to get an op-ed oath on that breaker. page anymore. Tom Tillis. You're going to have to write your fucking op-ed on Medium. Publish it yourself. Yeah, you can lie in Medium anytime you want. That's <laughs> also one of, the, one of the appeals of Medium. You can make it up. 12 seconds left. Hey, 400, uh, it was a uh, non-binding vote to release the Mueller probe. That was Republicans joined on that. Yeah, except then Lindsey Graham's trying to block it in the Senate. What a bunch of dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, Tucker Carlson was caught on tape by Madeline Peltz by Media Matters calling up Bubba the Love Sponge to say homophobic and racist stuff. There were protests outside Fox News calling on him to resign. He took a supposedly scheduled vacation. John, why do bad things happen to good people? This this, This isn't the Tucker that we know. This isn't this isn't the Tucker Carlson we know saying this kind of shit. What happened to Tucker Carlson? Look, I think Democrats are crazy for not rewarding Tucker's media outlet with a debate. Look, I think if we are afraid to answer questions from a media outlet that employs a man like that, we are surely not going to win the presidency. I journalists, don't, I don't know, dumb journalists, how we can look ourselves in the mirror and say we are not able to sit across from Tucker Carlson when Bubba the Love Sponge can do it. I'm sure Chris Wallace has had some very stern words with him because he is an upstanding journalist. Shep Smith, Brett Baer, you guys must be... They are walking by him in the hall at work, you must and be they are looking the other way. Spitting on the floor. That's my spitting on the floor sound. They're not having lunch with him. 
And and after they and their their voices are probably hoarse from uh, what's it called when you raise an issue? The hackles they raised <laughs> over Janine Puro, basically saying that oh, Muslims yeah. can't be fucking trusted. Muslims can't. You be know, trusted. Muslims. You put on a hijab, you can't love the country. It's That's against how it the works. Constitution. Yeah, yeah. You can't wear a hijab and love America. Freedom. Of I'm going to say it just yeah. like that. I'm Fox News. We would like to host a Democratic yes, presidential debate. Answer our questions, Democrats. Yeah, we would like We're to see... We're here in good faith. We would we like don't, to see Elizabeth Mu- Warren answer questions before an ad for my super pillow or whatever that fucking thing is. We think Muslims are, you know, unconstitutional. But anyway, yeah. what do you think about the issues? And these bigamists have some good ideas. Last but not least, we woke up this week to a college admissions scandal that was just... Oh, boy. Uh, to find out that Aunt Becky was running a scam to get her daughter into USC when that daughter has no interest in going to USC whatsoever. To spend a lot of money to get someone into USC is no, bad enough. No offense to USC. No. Offense, I guess. I guess we're Listen, going with offense. Hey, USC, nothing but love <laughs> for my friends at USC. How but much? You're at USC, and you know, now that you're at USC... How much money would you want your parents to spend to bribe your way into USA? Think about it. How much, then did, yell at how me. much did Fran and Robert um, spend to get you into Williams? Uh, listen, there were people when they heard my SAT score that what did num- yell fluke at me <laughs> in the hallway. But uh, what that percentage had... of your SAT scores are yours, and what percentage were purchased by your parents? Fifty uh, percent like yours, sixty percent yours. Listen, that proctor said that I could achieve my dreams and do whatever I wanted to do. And I don't know what you're talking about. Here you are in front of a microphone. That proctor said... Joking about politics. <laughs> the pinnacle of anyone's career. Listen. All right. I got my SAT score the old-fashioned way. By not having enough friends to distract me from studying. <laughs> That's how you I did it. You studied for the SAT? Studied like a fucking lunatic for that SAT. I right, wish I was someone, I wish someone told me there were wrong. courses. I didn't take any courses. I proved them all wrong. I didn't even wrong. have a book. I took a course. I proved them all wrong. Hey, Lisa. It's why I still pronounce all the words I wrong I prove them today. all wrong. You do pronounce all the words wrong. Yeah, although that's because I did, you know, my SAT scores no, were middling. No, I think it's a speechwriter's thing of being very phonetic. Mm. Sure. And Becky's a criminal. And so what about, you're letting a fucking Desperate Housewife Yeah, oh, and Felicity here. Huffman. Felicity what? Huffman, what are you doing? And, hey. and William H. Macy. Felicity Huffman, William H. Macy, you are too famous for this level of scam. Right. All right, Aunt Becky and Massimo, I get it. Yeah, that's, all right? oh, yeah. I get it. Felicity Huffman and William H. Macy, who's, by the way, just on the lam. He's, he's no, <laughs> no one's arresting William H. Macy. Yeah, Felicity, Fel- <laughs> William H. Macy flying up in a fucking hot air balloon, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get to a non-extradition country saying, Felicity, I love you. I'm sorry. I got to do what's right for me. <laughs> just, just William H. Macy, a bunch of fucking beef jerky in a hot air balloon flying to Morocco. That's it. That's what we got. <laughs> anyway, that was a wild weekend news. Thank you to John Favreau. Happy to be here. Was Thank a- you to Elisa and Travis and everybody in the studio for helping us do this little topper. As Travis, was that good? No. Cool. Tra- we're going to do it again from the top. Uh, <laughs> when we come back, we have an amazing show at the Paps Theater in Milwaukee with Angela Lang, Ben Wickler, and Akilah Hughes. Also a surprise guest who's not even listed here. We had some fantastic rants. We played a fantastic game about beer. We had a good time. We were crushing cheese curds. End of topper. I got to go to the gym. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. 
for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Look at you. What a warm Milwaukee welcome. We're here at the beautiful Paps Theater. This is our last show. I'm having fun. I gained 10 pounds in the Midwest. Holy shit. So, we're, <laughs> we're only 10. We're in Madison having a lovely time. Someone introduces this place called Culver's to me. They all close at 11, guys. If you, <laughs> some of them at 10, some of them 11. There was only one open at midnight and it was way out of the way, so I went today. That Culver's is sitting on me like a polar vortex. Too soon. Okay. When I arrived in Chicago and I had the plan to eat a deep dish pizza and then cheese curds and all the rest, I th- it was like, and my lord, I thought it was a party that would never end. The party is over. And what I said yesterday, I no longer believe. I used to believe that cheese curds ought to be everywhere, something you can get everywhere all the time. I know, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't believe that anymore. Uh, I think it's something that needs to be rare and special and with a label. (laughs) You guys eat heavy over here. Also on the road, I am told to try local beers. Uh, They tend to be very hoppy, and they have names like Old Man's Bastard Golden Retriever Grapefruit Session Double Hop IPA. But here in Milwaukee, I can drink local and I can drink beers that taste like the kind of introductory beers you have when you're 19 and in college and going to your first party but pretending like you get to parties all the time. And I love the way it tastes. It's not surprising to me at all. (laughs) I'm obviously not trying beer for the first time at this party. My face is grimacing because I was thinking about something sad and weird earlier. Thank you for this beer. So tonight, I thought I'd do a little taste test of Wisconsin beers. And by that, I mean owned by a company here. And here to help me try these beers, please welcome Akila Hughes. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. Our first beer is Miller High Life. Are we, are we sharing one can? I guess we have to. 
That's the plan. You can go first. No, you hold it you hold because i got to read this. Okay, yeah. The champagne of beers. Miller High Life was launched as Miller Brewing Company's flagship beer in 1903, featuring the famous Girl in the Moon logo, which High Life's website describes with the following poetry. She sits on a crescent moon amidst the star-filled sky, a clear glass in her left hand. Although there is no record of how the famous Girl in the Moon was created, it is known she was first trademarked by Miller in 1907. She has since become one of the most mysterious and beloved brand icons in America. And it is very cool that you have a young girl drinking beer <laughs> on your label. It's pretty punk rock. Right, I'm going to let you go first go every time. I just... Wait, you need to know about John. <laughs> what is it? They, don't need, they don't need to know anything. <laughs> He won't tell you when he's uncomfortable, but he will be uncomfortable. And he doesn't want to drink after anybody. So, I'm just saying, okay? I'm going to take the hit for the team. You go. All right. Oh, okay. All right. I'm getting some. What are, what are you getting? What notes are you getting? Yeah, I'm getting a, I'm getting a little note of NASCAR, someone said. I, I taste that. Um, maybe a little bit of dip in a can. And... Um, <laughs> Regret. (laughs) (laughs) All right, there you go. Our next beer is Miller Lite. (laughs) Miller Lite was the first successful mainstream light beer in the United States. After its inception as Gablinger's Diet Beer in 1967, Miller bought the beer in 1972 and rebranded the diet beer simply as Lite. They switched to blue labels in the 1990s, which were terrible, and finally returned to the older label in 2014. Since then, some sales have skyrocketed, and some consumers have even stated that Miller actually improved on the taste, when in fact, nothing changed (laughs) in the beer itself. I love Miller Lite. I do. I genuinely do. And the most embarrassing thing is, you know, if I go to a, 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 a brewer, a distillery, a bar, a tavern... A pub, a speakeasy, a basement. A basement. <laughs> I will say, can I have something that's like Miller Lite? Because it's the Diet Coke of beer. Yeah, I'm just tasting like a LaCroix. <laughs> like a beer flavored LaCroix. <laughs> my favorite flavor. <laughs> so if, right. So if Miller Eye Life is the champagne of beers. Miller Lite, Miller Lite is the LaCroix of beers. <laughs> Our next beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon. What can we say about PBR that hasn't already been said by your friend Ezra over a reclaimed wood table and exposed brick at a dim bar called the Idle Hour in a part of town that used to be old factories but now it's expensive lofts and place where you can get tapas. <laughs> Established in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1844 and currently based in Los Angeles. You know Los Angeles. You know it. It's on the coast. You know what temperature it is there? 73 degrees. You know why? It's a chilly night. And you know what's based there? A little beer called Pabst Blue Ribbon. Los Angeles is most famous beer, I think. We did lose the Super Bowl. You know how cool Los Angeles is? A lot of people didn't find out until after. You know what's weird? I taste Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, love a past Blue Ribbon. It's great. Here's my question. Do you think they've been coasting on that Blue Ribbon for a little too long? <laughs> When did they get the Blue Ribbon? 1893? Was alcohol even legal then? 
<laughs> is that the middle of the prohibition? No, that was They before. got that blue ribbon in 1893, and they've had it on the can ever since. Holy shit. And finally, our next beer is Milwaukee's Best Ice. And, and uh, thank you very much to, to the lieutenant governor of your state, Mandela Barnes, for bringing it out. Pretty good. Which of these beers do you like? High Life. He's a High Life man. The champagne of lieutenant governors. Give it up for Mandela Barnes. <laughs> He's been following us on tour all week. Yeah, that one's my least fave. Oh, man. Yeah. God, that is genuine garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it's bar runoff. <laughs> it's, I also, like, it doesn't... I'm used to it tasting like a ping pong ball. Mm. Oh, yeah. All right. It would be improved by band-aids and hair from the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking for a way to end this game with a kind of burst of energy. Do you want me to chug one of these? Let's just chug one. <laughs> All right. I'm taking... <laughs> no, I want I'm the one. No, you, want... you want the you want a mirror light? I want I'll light. do PBI. All right, here we go. <sighs> uh, I could have... <laughs> Dog. All right, let's bring out the rest of our panel. She is the executive director of Black Leaders Organizing for Communities, Milwaukee's own Angela Lang. How you doing, Angela? I'm good. Um, probably not as good as you all, but I'm good. <laughs> Can I interest you in a tall boy? I'll take the PBR. Okay. He's the senior advisor for MoveOn.org, and he's running for chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. Please welcome Ben Wickler. How you doing, Ben? I'm great. Good. Let's get into it. What a week. Tonight... I want to talk a little bit about activism and the role it's playing in our politics right now. We have two organizers and activists here. Akila and I do a lot of organizing ourselves. A lot of big campaigns she and I are running. Uh, time. <laughs> we've seen climate activists helping to put pressure on politicians like Dianne Feinstein to support the Green New Deal. Healthcare activists, including people with disabilities engaging in civic disobedience on Capitol Hill who help protect and save the Affordable Care Act. It's taken incredible protests and activism and organizing to keep attention on criminal justice reform, including the rise of Black Lives Matter. There were teacher strikes across the country to uh, improve our schools. We remember Anna Maria Archila confronting Jeff Flake in an elevator. We remember Addie Barkin confronting Jeff Flake on an airplane. Uh, there's a period of time where a lot of our politics depended on finding Jeff Flake <laughs> and making him listen. The one who would. Yes, it was very much a lot of the things hinged on, is Jeff Flake going to be at the airport? Is he going to be at the mall? We got to find Jeff Flake. He believe he has a conscience, um, and we believe we can find it if we try hard enough. The past decade in Wisconsin has also been defined by protests, bookended by massive protests when Scott Walker and the Republicans rammed Act 10 through the legislature. Yeah. And protests that greeted the Republican power grab during this most recent lame duck. So just 10 years of bullshit. <laughs> Angela, I want to start with you. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you do 
And have you seen more people willing to get involved even in the past two years? Yeah, for sure. So um, Block is just over a year old. We passed our one year at the end of 2018. So we launched at the end of 2017. We knocked our first door. Um, and a lot of people are like, are you going to ask folks about this candidate or that candidate in ahead of the, the 2018 elections? And we said, no, we wanted to ask folks, what does it look like for the black community to thrive? Um, a lot of people hadn't asked folks, hey, like, what are the issues in your community or in your neighborhood? And so we wanted to take that time to really think about um, what are the things that people really need in their community, whether it's a speed bump or it's a light or people saying, hey, my, I feel like my community is being over-policed and I feel like I'm being racially profiled. We heard everything in between. And so um, what we heard a lot of and once we really started to really dig deep into folks really understanding how the political process worked. People are like, I want to run for office. I want to get involved. I want to get engaged. And I think people have seen all of the bullshit that has happened in the last several years and really started to think about what is their role and also what is the agency that they have within themselves in order to make a change. So we've seen a lot of folks previously incarcerated, people that have um, been on my payroll that have knocked doors on election day that couldn't actually vote um, themselves because they are on paper and they were not able uh, to vote on election day, but knew how important it was to get their community out and to get their friends and their families and do relational organizing. And so people really wanted to, no matter what your circumstances, people really wanted to play a role. And that's something that we're trying to empower people is that no matter what your circumstances, if you're undocumented, if you're on paper, um, if you're previously incarcerated, you have a role in this political process, despite what people tell you. Ben, you know, my experience of Ben over the past two years has been every once in a while, just he sends a DM that says something like, we're organizing this protest, we're getting people to call for this reason, we're fighting this healthcare thing, we're going to try to get tension on this judicial issue, whatever it has been for the past two years, sort of relentless. And to me, one of the things that's been fascinating over the last two years is we've seen a lot of new organizations pop up, Indivisible, Swing Left, and others, but Move On has kind of, feels like it has the energy of a lot of these new organizations. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen and what's been most effective for Move On in this Trump era? Totally. So there's this weird, I'll use a monetary policy analogy. Great, people will love that. Everyone loves monetary policy. So like, you're usually supposed to use an analogy of something simpler. Right. <laughs> okay. So when we have no power, we have more rage. And when Trump got elected and Republicans controlled everything, and they controlled the Senate and the House and the White House and the Supreme Court and the media and corporate America, we did not have power. And there was this explosion of just energy, of people wanting to find power, create power where there was no power, of being, finding some way to fight back. And like, we experience it in our organizing that people that instead of organizing being about trying to like get people to care, it became about giving people something to do with this energy that was welling up inside them. And the analogy is that when the economy is not doing well, the government should invest more in order to stimulate it. So that's the monetary policy analogy. So I loved it. It's counter. Yeah. I'm sorry for doubting you. <laughs> Thank and you. So are they. Thank you. Yes, but we should all be fighting to make sure the Fed focuses not just on controlling inflation, but making sure there's full employment and people have jobs and not putting a boot on the neck of the American worker. So, 
I would say, and yeah. Adi and Ana Maria have like changed the conversation of what it means to hold people accountable. And it's those folks, it's people like them that have like confronted and have death threats. Um, it's those folks that are changing the way democracy works right now. Yes. So now I know I didn't come here to talk about monetary policy and I'm, I'm done, but I will say this <laughs> on a different topic. I will say that for the first time in my lifetime, it is now, it's just a question of figuring out what we can do together, because people want to fight. People have the energy to fight. And that is the reason why Scott Walker is no longer governor of Wisconsin. That has changed, the, I think, the way every organization works. It's totally changed the way Move On works. Because Move On, it, the, the, there's an old theory in organizing that you make a list and then you work the list. You find people who might care, and then you call them and try to get them to do stuff. What's happened under Trump at Move On is that we've discovered that everybody cares. So we, like, we literally will organize our members to just call people off the voter rolls and ask them to call Congress about healthcare, and everyone will respond as though they were already diehard, signed up, moveon.org activists. That's fascinating. It's like, it, is, it is a sea change. The list is America. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> All of us here, everyone listening, people across the country, we all know that there's something fundamentally wrong. And there's been something fundamentally wrong for a long time. Some people have been fighting it for a long time. Some people are realizing now how wrong things are. And all of us want to do something about it. And to me, like, that's why I'm running for chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, because I think the party can be an outlet for that energy, and that is why I believe in block, and that is why I've worked at Move On. And I think that's, that's why so many people are so fired up. It's this sense of a shared mission to like slay this beast, to fight back against this shadow and to build something that we can actually believe in and be proud of and, you know, hand off to our kids. Yeah. And that's a good, I just also want to plug because, you know, you make this point that how, how hard it was to, to organize against Scott Walker. And, you know, we talked about this at the Madison show, which is a reminder for everybody in Wisconsin and anybody listening. Uh, if you go to swingleft.org slash Wisconsin, you can help organize around a uh, judicial fight that's going to happen here in April that will determine a lot about redistricting uh, and a lot of really important issues. So make sure you do that. Uh, Lisa Neubauer, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Akila, we've been in Wisconsin together for Almost 48 hours. 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> My whole life. <laughs> Anything you've seen you want to protest? Ooh. The snow banks. Everywhere there are sidewalks, you just walking on chunks of snow. <laughs> That's my coastal elite rant. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody here go ice fishing? Really? What the fuck? <laughs> I was driving, <laughs> I was driving, we were in Madison, we look out on a lake, frozen lake, there's like houses out there. It just seems so cold. Cold. <laughs> and terrible. A lot of, lot of work for, for uh, some, some small lake fit. What? Did Martin Crane do frozen fishing? That's a really great question. Everything I know about ice fishing, I learned from the film Grumpy Old Men, starring, starring Walter Matthau, Don Lemon, and Jack Lemon. What did I say? Don Lemon? I'd see that movie. I'd see a movie where Don Lemon and Walter Matthau duke it out over Anne Margaret. That is so cool. 
But also in Grumpy Old Men is Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith plays Jack Lemon's father. Is that right? Or does he play Walter Matthau's father? He plays Jack Lemon's father. And what a treat it is to see Burgess Meredith, Penguin, as the dad in one of those little ice shanties. The point is we've seen a lot of really incredible activism <laughs> over the past two years. Let's leave it there. When we come back, okay, stop. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. And we're back! (laughs) Now it's time for a game called OK Stop. Here's how it works. We'll roll a clip and the panel can say, okay, stop at any point to comment. Fox and Friends, also known as the view for fascists, is what Donald Trump ingests every day instead of the daily presidential briefing. That means everything they say works its way into Donald Trump's very, very cool brain. They talked about Medicare for all recently. So let's see what the president learned on this morning. Speaking of uh, what's good for the country, what about Medicare for all? This is, this, is, this is horrible for the country. You talk about taking health care away from Americans? Uh, through your union, you're a welder, you're a teacher, and you have your health care plan through your teacher plan. Lose it. Or, gone. Gone. You have, you have a Fox okay, News stop. plan? How can you just lie? <laughs> like, I know it's Fox News, but just, like, people are just so, blatantly lying? So here's how you do it. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, it takes some time, but I think first you allow little bits of deception into the way you think about the world. And over time... As you sit in front of the camera day after day, you don't realize, but with each morning, as you more and more adapt the talking points that come from higher up, you slowly lose the part of yourself that noticed that there was a difference, that you then create a different version of yourself. There's the version of yourself that's on camera. That's the person who reads what's in the prompter. And then there's the version of yourself that's decent and kind and honest in your personal dealings. And increasingly, you view the person you are on camera in this studio as not you, but the you that's on Fox News, the you that's doing a job, that you that made compromises along the way to be this person, that understands that there's trade-offs between the money, that ultimately you view yourself as being a good person who makes some compromises, not a compromised person who occasionally does some good. And over time, as you repeatedly violate the basic tenets of who you are as a person, as you repeatedly undermine your sense of right and wrong, you get further and further away from even being able to hear the difference to the point where you could say literally anything, where you can sit in front of a camera and say up is down and black is white and Trump is innocent and Schiff should be impeached, that you can get yourself to the point where you can say anything. Nah. I think that's how it might happen. <laughs> nah. It's <laughs> like, what? I have to say, the thing that I love about Medicare for All as a name of a thing is that the whole thing's in the name. And so even if they say all this stuff, it says right there on the screen, it says Medicare for All. And it's like... like and you're the, disputing it anyways. Yeah. And it's like the Affordable Care Act is like, you can, yeah, it's slightly confusing. Also, or the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act is like, no one even knows what that is. But Medicare for All is like, oh yeah, there's Medicare. What if you had that for all? 
the only people who watch this with the sound on is the president. So. <laughs> 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 I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm at the gym, like, dope. All right. Everyone private insurance company. There is, there is zero private insurance, and so you have, if you have Medicaid okay, in your stadium. Who is that lady? <laughs> I'm sorry, the black woman in the blonde wig that they literally put in there to be another white person? That is insane. You kinda... <laughs> They're like, they won't notice. We'll pan quickly, and they just pan real slow. <laughs> and, like, these people are looking right at the camera next to them like, we know she's black. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? For those listening at home to this audio podcast, there is a sea of faces, mostly white, and in the corner is a black person in a kind of a Hillary Clinton-esque <laughs> jacket, blazer, with a blonde, what I assume is a wig. It looks very much like it was placed on quickly. And as if maybe in a future part of this particular installment of Fox and Friends, uh, this woman rips the wig off and says, I was here the whole time. <laughs> it would be a watered-down badger care. So instead of shooting for the stars... Okay, stop. Better... Don't talk about badger care on Fox and Friends. So he's trying to say that Medicare for all won't be as good as Medicare. It will be a watered-down version of Medicaid, right? Badger, so BadgerCare is Wisconsin's Medicaid. Right. And so, for example, Governor Evers, our new governor, has just proposed expanding BadgerCare, which is an awesome idea. Medicaid for all is a lot better than nothing for all. And what is he talking about? Does he think that like Fox viewers hate BadgerCare? Well, Everyone I think that, loves BadgerCare. So I think as we're talking about the actual substance of what they're doing here, because I think this is what we will increasingly see, and I do think it's worth remembering that Medicare for All right now is considered very popular, but it hasn't yet been exposed to the full weight of the assault that's coming for it. And these people are not, let's not call them the most articulate representatives. <laughs> of the conservative worldview, but they're making the case that will eventually be made against democratic priorities, and it's going to be some version of what they're saying. Uh, they will take away the plan that you like, and what you will end up with is worse than Medicaid, which is another way of saying to their white audience, you're going to end up with health care for black people. I really think that that is yeah. under a lot of what goes on inside and of that. Well, that, that, but that's, they're like, we don't want, we right. want, we want, we want what we have, not what the states provide to right. poor and minority to people, people. To those people. Mm -hmm. I do think that's part of it. This notion of what he, what he said, right? If you have a union plan, they'll take that away. If you have the Fox News plan, they'll take that away. Of course, obviously the Fox News healthcare plan is just a witch's pot. Plans for people, improving the plans and the coverage, they go to the lowest common denominator and they're crappy plans for everybody, okay. but it's the okay, same. Stop. Can we just talk about how this conversation is not happening with disabled or like differently abled people that are directly impacted by the healthcare system? I want to hear someone that is disabled or differently abled say, oh, I want Medicare for all. Give me that person, right? Like find me that person and that'll be a lot more persuasive. Also, don't find me a white person because y'all got privilege. I don't want to hear that anymore. I'm over it. I want to just pick up on one of the aspects of this, which is Medicaid, they're saying, like, they say Medicare for all, but it'll be Medicaid for all, and they are missing the fact that because of what they tried to do to Medicaid, the public knows about Medicaid now, and the public loves Medicaid now. Medicaid has become incredibly popular in polls. People do not want to cut it. It, is, it looks like Medicare used to look like, and Medicare also looks like Medicare used to look like, which is awesome. And, like... How you get to universal health care, which bits of which program you put together, 
That is all the policy conversation that we'll be having for the next number of years. But if Republicans think that they can scare people by talking about the program that millions of people fought to protect and defeated them and threw them out of Congress because they wanted to protect it, Republicans do not understand what they are dealing with. And I would just add that basically the Fox News health plan is they get uh, Proud Boys into the building uh, and they just get blood transfusions from young white nationalists to keep their older white nationalists feeling young. Really. And so Mad I Nash understand why if that's Makes your sense. health plan, you don't want to switch to Medicare because none of that is covered <laughs> under Medicare. What it really comes down to is Americans are still Americans. We're not socialists. We're not communists. We like choice. And we like to have um, okay, choice Sam. in health care. Sort of going back to what he said, because uh, he sort of said the quiet part out loud, which was, this is bottom of the barrel care you're going to lose what you have and get what other people have. And I think that like, we really need to sit with that because he's okay with what other people have. He's like, no, they deserve to die. I don't want to die. None of us want to die, but fuck everybody else because we're showing legs at seven in the morning <laughs> on Fox and goddamn Friends. <laughs> Let's go. I mean, but she also said, well, we like choice. Not pro-choice, yeah, though. Yeah, what choices? Elaborate. Because <laughs> um, y'all not... Y'all not letting me choose what happens to my body, though. But y'all like choice? Cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah, and also, just to that point, she doesn't want people who are differently abled, people who uh, have lower incomes, to have choice. She's okay with them not having a she choice. She personally wants a choice, but fuck everybody else's choices, Real. clearly. Especially because it is so personal. It is so important to everybody, especially those of us with kids or elderly parents. Um, so I think, I think Sean's absolutely right. I think a husband's right? Since when does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Never. Are they married? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> What's going on over there at Fox News? I just want to know what Kool-Aid they're drinking or what weed they're smoking. It's money. And, mm. they, and they do not smoke weed. <laughs> yeah, no true. way. <laughs> yeah, no. They would ruin the brand. <laughs> when we come back, it's time for a game about Foxconn. Yeah, boo it. Boo it, because I'm in favor of it. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. And we're back! Two years ago, Taiwanese suicide factory Foxconn made a historic deal with Donald Trump and Scott Wonker to bring a new manufacturing complex to Racine County, Wisconsin. Republicans and Foxconn promised the factory would bring 13,000 blue-collar jobs to the state, and Scott Walker's re-election seemed all but certain. This deal was plastered all over cable news as Republicans raced to connect their name to the project. Things were looking up in Donald Trump's America, especially in the area the media had dubbed the Silicon Valley of Wisconsin. <laughs> just wanted to make sure. It just seemed, seemed crazy. I wanted to make sure I read it right. 
But everything about this deal, much like a nice Jewish boy trying cheese curds for the first time, <laughs> was bloated and full of shit. So let's explore the Foxconn failure in a game we are calling You Can't Foxconn an Honest Man. Would someone out there like to play the game? Hi, what's your name? Carla. Carla. And where are you from, Carla? Chicago. Chicago. Hey. <laughs> Unbelievable. I have, I, we, have done, we have done shows in cities across this country, and it doesn't matter where we go. The second somebody not within a 13-mile radius of the theater is chosen, you turn in to fucking nativists. <laughs> Hi, Carla. Hello. Thank you for being here. I came for the beer. She came for the beer. Hey. Give it up for Carla. <laughs> Are you familiar with the Foxconn boondoggle? Not entirely. But... <laughs> Carla... It was so free to lie. <laughs> but thank you for being honest. Question number one. When Republicans made a deal with Foxconn, they promised 13,000 new blue-collar jobs for Wisconsin. What has Foxconn delivered to the people of this state so far? Is it A? While Foxconn may ha not have delivered many new jobs to Wisconsin, they did deliver many new jobs for American journalists who get to hang out in diners to talk to real Americans. And by real Americans, of course, they mean old white guys who think chemtrails are real. <laughs> or is it B? 178 full-time employees. And in January, their executive, Tank Murdoch, announced that almost all of the plant's manufacturing work will be automated. Or is it C? Hmm. Uh, one new job for the people of Wisconsin. And it's the job Tony Evers took from Scott Walker in November. <laughs> I love it. There is no figure other than Donald Trump more despised than Scott Walker is despised in Wisconsin. It's incredible. Carla, what do you think? I'm going to go with B. You got it. 178 jobs. Fun fact, Foxconn now says that only 10% of the new jobs will be line workers, and the company now says they will need to look in other states and even other countries to fill the new engineering and programming jobs. Even if Foxconn brings 13,000 jobs to the state, most people no longer believe they will anyway. Only a very small percentage of those jobs will be local manufacturing jobs. Question two. What did Donald Trump and the Republicans promise Foxconn to get them to bring this plant to the state? Is it A... This is actually really funny because it could be true. Donald Trump gave Foxconn one of those coupon books for one free hug and one free foot rub whenever they want. Foxconn immediately demanded a larger coupon book with unlimited foot rubs. And because he is so good at making deals, Donald Trump immediately said yes. Or is it B? Scott Walker promised Foxconn that if the plant was built in Wisconsin, they'd receive 10% of all money Aaron Rodgers makes from his commercial work. And judging by how many commercials he does, Foxconn is now the richest company in America. Or is it C? Donald Trump and Scott Walker gave Foxconn $3 billion in subsidies, most of which Foxconn demanded in cash. These cash subsidies quickly ballooned to more than $4.1 billion from the state, handed directly over from the taxpayers. For every one Wisconsin household, the state will be gifting Foxconn $1,774, almost two grand per household. 
Definitely C. Carla, it is C. You got it. Fun fact. For every job promised to Wisconsin, taxpayers are paying $315,000 per job. The earliest the state could possibly turn a profit on the deal is around 2050, with one economics professor saying the state would get paid back, quote, somewhere between hundreds of years and never. <laughs> Unbelievable. Question three. Sure, Foxconn may have tricked the state out of billions of dollars for jobs that aren't coming, and sure, lots and lots of families were displaced to make way for the plan, but it probably couldn't get any worse. How did it get worse? <laughs> Is it A? The screens Foxconn announced they were building require benzene, chromium, chemdium, mercury, zinc, and copper, which, when improperly disposed, are incredibly hazardous, and the Walker administration exempted Foxconn from the normal state environmental rules, allowing the company to discharge materials into local wetlands and draw 7 million gallons of water per day from Lake Michigan. Or is it B? The factory was built on an ancient burial ground, and <laughs> any LCD screen built will seem normal, and then all of a sudden, boom, a bird monster pops up and your kid is taking the Momo challenge. We are also standing on stolen land, so all of that could be true. Foxconn is behind the Momo challenge. <laughs> or is it C? Easily the scariest part of this whole deal is that Scott Walker promised that once 13,000 jobs come to Wisconsin, he would finally perform his one-man show, Scott. A musical about a gruff alcoholic country singer who discovers a politician in a dive bar who just may have what it takes to become famous for destroying teachers' unions. What do you think, Carla? I'd buy a ticket to C, but I'm going to go with A. You got it. <laughs> Last question. This deal, which I forgot to mention, was negotiated by Jared fucking Kushner. Tall alabaster moron kind of Jew has smooth skin like that. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a prick. <laughs> smooth skin, tall, ectomorph Jew, every advantage in life. <laughs> the, the deal is by all accounts a massive disaster for the state of Wisconsin. But despite that, which of these is a real quote from Republicans about this clusterfuck? Is it A? Paul Ryan said of the plant, quote, it is a great day for American manufacturing and for southeastern Wisconsin, this plant is an absolute game changer. Or is it B? Scott Walker said of the plant, there's a whole lot of people out there scrambling to try and come up with a reason not to like this. They can go suck lemons. Or is it C? Donald Trump said of the plant, this is the eighth wonder of the world. What do you think, Carla? I'm going to say... It's all of the above. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice try backtrack, Carla. But good news, you've won the game. Thank you for playing. You can't Foxconn, an honest man. You've won a parachute gift card. When we come back, we're going to compare craft beer to corporate beer. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. 
And we're back. America, the land of opportunity, where anyone with an idea and a few dollars can start a small business and through passion, dedication, and hard work, finally achieve the American dream, developing a new and exciting product or service based on a personal commitment and then selling it to a private equity firm who can squeeze as much value out of it before using the assets as collateral for a loan to make an unrelated acquisition. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street and everywhere in between, we are in a new golden age of consolidation and monopoly. And since we are in Wisconsin, we thought we'd talk about something near and dear to our hearts. Beer. Just in the last decade, the craft beer boom was taking over America. But after two massive beer mergers in 2008, things have begun to stall. AB InBev and Miller Coors control a massive number of breweries, and they keep gobbling up more and more craft beer. Since then, the cost of beer has risen, cost of production has been cut, and thousands of jobs have been lost. This corporatization of craft beer is so prevalent, we don't think even you beer snobs here in Wisconsin will be able to tell what's a real craft beer and what's one owned by one of these massive conglomerates in a game we are calling Local Craft or Corporate Draft. I would like someone from Milwaukee to play this game. Travis is on that side of the house. Hi, what's your name? Sam. Sam? And are you from here in Milwaukee? Yes, I am. This is a lightning round game. Okay. I am going to say a name of a beer. If you think it's a craft beer, say craft. If you think it's owned by one of the two big guys, you say corporate. Okay? Okay. Let's do this, Sam. Goose Island IPA. Corporate. Got it. Blue Moon Belgian Wheat. Corporate. Got it. New Belgium Flat Tire. Corporate. Craft. Cor- Colorado Native Imperial Porter. Corporate. New Glarus Spotted Cow. Craft. Two Roads Brewing Old Factory Pills. Craft? Yes. Devil's Backbone Southern Passion Lager. Craft? Corporate. Oso Brewery Two Pump Chump. Corporate. Craft. Ten Barrel Brewing Company Apocalypse IPA. Craft. Corporate. Terrapin Beer Company Liquid Bliss Chocolate Peanut Butter Porter. Corporate. Yes. St. Archer Mosaic IPA. Craft. Corporate. Golden Road Heal the Bay IPA. Corporate. Got it. Lagunitas IPA. Corporate. Got it. Angel City Sunbather Single Hop Sour Ale. Craft? Yes. Hop Valley Alpha Centauri Imperial IPA. Is that really a beer? Yeah, no. Yes, it's a beer, Sam. Stalling. Craft. Corporate. Founders Oatmeal Stout Nitro. Corporate. Corporate. Blue Point Brewing's Honey Robber Cream Ale. Corporate. Got it. Avery Brewing Company, White Rascal. Craft. Corporate. Carbach Brewing Company, Hopadilla IPA. Craft. Corporate. Anchorage Brewing Bitter, Monk Belgian Style, Double IPA. Corporate. Craft. And finally, Natural Light. Corporate. Sam, you got it. It was a multiple choice quiz with two answers per question. You almost got half right. You've won the game. And a parachute gift card. Thank you, Sam, for playing. Sam from Milwaukee. When we come back, the rant wheel. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. 
Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. And we're back! Now it's time for the rant wheel. You know how it works. We'll spin the wheel and rant on whatever topic it lands on. This week on the wheel, we have Michael Jackson, Walmart greeters, New York and Amazon, To Kill a Mockingbird, High Top Tables, Kardashian drama, Supposedly Poison Pills, and Dog Cops. I will also let you know that at any point, I may decide to just screw it, cancel one of them, and talk about Daylight Savings Time. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on To Kill a Mockingbird, something that I have wanted to talk about. Now, you all know To Kill a Mockingbird. Boo Radley and Atticus Finch and Scout. Story about good, overcoming adversity, overcoming the system. It's been around for quite some time. Childhood classic has been a stage play for a very long time. You may have also heard that Aaron Sorkin wrote a version of To Kill a Mockingbird that is currently being staged on Broadway, uh, starring, I believe, Jeff Daniels in the role of Atticus Finch. The producers of this production on Broadway has shut down community productions of the other To Kill a Mockingbird, the old To Kill a Mockingbird play. And there was this New York Times story in which this amateur actor who also runs the playhouse had to tell Scout that she didn't get to be Scout anymore because the New York producers of To Kill a Mockingbird decided to shut down the Dayton, Ohio production. And how ironic is this? They thought they had a good case, but they were afraid to fight him in court. <laughs> they were afraid to take their chances in court to win their righteous cause to perform To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> now, I read this, and I think it's appalling. Can't imagine Aaron would be in favor of this kind of treatment of people just trying to perform a story about good people overcoming racism and adversity. But don't worry, there was a compromise. And the compromise is some of these local groups, they can still do To Kill a Mockingbird but they can only do the Aaron Sorkin version. <laughs> so basically, because New York City has a Broadway production of To Kill a Mockingbird, Scout in Dayton, the little girl doing the amateur production, has to learn a new version of the play, that that is the compromise. It is fucking insane. Why do they care what happens at the local Dayton production of To Kill a Mockingbird? <laughs> Just let them do the other version. Who gives a shit? Sorry, guys, this Broadway production starring Jeff Daniels has to shut down. We're facing too much competition in Dubuque. There's a lot of people in Dubuque who like, I don't know, what should we do? Should we fly to New York and buy a $250 ticket to see Jeff Daniels and Aaron Sorkin's To Kill a Mockingbird? Or go down the street to see Phyllis and Jack do it? You know, Phyllis and Jack from PTA, they're doing their version. So let's go to that one instead of New York. The New York play suffers. <laughs> the guy who runs the playhouse and plays Atticus Finch didn't want to take it to court because even though he thought his case was good, 
he was afraid he'd lose the case of To Kill a Mockingbird. It was so ironic, I died. Let's spin it again. It has landed on supposedly poison pills suggested by one Ben Wickler. I have a thing. There's this phrase, poison pills. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to mean that when two people, two entities, let's say political parties, are negotiating something, if someone puts something in in bad faith, proposes something in order to tank the negotiations, that's called a poison pill. But what it means now, in the way that Republicans use it, is when Democrats propose anything, and Republicans don't want anything that people want, they call that a poison pill. And it, this is, it's driving me, it's driving me angry. Oh, wow. Because of what's... Oh, it's, ben, you're losing control. It's, <laughs> I'm really pissed off about... Okay, so in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, where we are right now. Sure. In Wisconsin, there's this two-year budget that the governor proposes... And then Republicans are supposed to, like, you know, respond and negotiate on it, modify it, and then they have to reach some kind of compromise. And Governor Evers was elected because all of us fought to elect Governor Evers and throw out Scott Walker to do a bunch of good stuff. And he started putting together his budget. He called it the People's Budget. He went around the state and did listening sessions with Mandela Barnes, who just brought out the beast to the stage. And they did these listening sessions. They got all these great ideas that they had like, run on, that people totally supported. And then before they came out with a budget, Robin Voss. Screw Robin Voss. I just want to go on the record saying, screw Robin Voss. Robin Voss, for people not in Wisconsin, Robin Voss is like the mini-me of Scott Walker. He is the speaker, Republican speaker of the state legislature, of the assembly. And he, he's also an example of how Donald Trump is a symptom of the disease, and Scott Walker is a symptom of the disease, and Robin Voss is a symptom of the disease. The disease is this plutocratic, out-of-control, extremist Republican party that represents the forces of division and hate to benefit the people at the top. That is the disease. It is a structural problem. So you knocked out, you knock out Scott Walker and you got Robin Voss in, in still clinging to power. So Robin Voss says, before the budget comes out, he says, it's going to be loaded with poison pills. The poison pills are literally the ideas in the budget for him, which he just doesn't like because he's against them. And one of the ideas is to re-import pills from Canada. So you're saying to us, you'll have us believe that one of the poison pills is just pills. It's just pills. <laughs> it's literally pills. So he thinks that the pills are poison pills. Poison, and it's, yes. <laughs> This budget came out, it is awesome. It's full of really good things that we want, like expanding Medicaid and bringing down prescription drug costs and automatic voter registration and banning the box and $1.4 billion for schools and all this stuff. And he calls all those poison pills. And the Republican plan is to snicker at it for a little while. And then they want to wipe out the entire budget and replace it with something else that they came up with that the vast majority of Wisconsinites just voted against. They have their gerrymandered districts and that's the only reason why they still have the state legislature. And then they want to push that on us. It is bad faith to say that Democrats are negotiating in bad faith with poison pills because their entire basis of Republican power in the state is based on bad faith. That is why I'm mad. And can I just say, if you, 
Want to get involved in the Democratic Party? You can sign up at wistdems.org. You can vote in the chair's race. You can go to your county party. And we are going, the plan for the, for the Democratic Party of the state of Wisconsin is not only will we vote, will we fight to stop these people in elections, but we're going to fight against them on these issues. We're going to organize and put the squeeze on them just like we did against the Affordable Care Act repeal. We're going to shut down what they're trying to do to this budget and to the agenda we all voted for. All right. Let's spin it again. It has landed on Kardashian drama suggested by Angela. All right, so I'm gonna take a little bit of a spin. Um, I feel like we needed a little break from like the bullshit politics. So Kardashians. So in case you all haven't seen, um, Khloe Kardashian, uh, culture vulture number two, her, I don't even know if it's her husband, her baby daddy, whoever, uh, Tristan Thompson cheated on her again um, with Jordan Woods, who is Kylie Jenner, also a culture vulture. That's her best friend. Um, Jordan is a black woman. And they are a 21-year-old black woman. And they are dragging the shit out of this 20-year-old like black woman saying, Jordan is the reason why my marriage broke up. Tristan is community penis. Um, there was a whole hashtag around it. Sorry if there's like a viewer discretion advisory. I was going to say another word, but I said penis um, to be appropriate. I've never heard of the term community um, penis before. Community penis. And I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of socialism. That's the, is that socialism what socialism thing, is? Right. <laughs> I, maybe this Fox News thing has a point. Socialist dick. All right. Um, <laughs> um, I'm gonna leave that alone. I'm not gonna go there. From each according. Which is why we need Medicare for all. By the way, sure. um, comprehensive sex education and all of that. Um, if we're going to be having community penis, we should have comprehensive sex education. Um, with that being said, it's fascinating to watch. So Jordan Woods was on Jada Pinkett's show talking about it. And it was really fascinating to listen and to hear about how Tristan Thompson essentially was, you know, he is the problem here. He had been sticking his thing in every honeypot um, known to, to womankind. Um <laughs> But for whatever reason, this 21-year-old is the problem here. Um, and so I, I think it's really fascinating that a black woman is being dragged for this um, when really we should be protecting and uplifting black girls and black women. And, and I think we're in a reckoning right now when it comes to um, specifically Robert Kelly and all sorts of other folks about who is um, the victim and who is actually not being protected. We talk about Me Too and how um, black women have been excluded from Me Too. And so what does it look like to protect black girls and black women like Jordan Woods, like Centoya Brown, like our own uh, Crystal Kaiser? If you all haven't heard, Crystal Kaiser is the Milwaukee version of Centoya Brown that has been trafficked and is currently sitting in prison because she was 
self-defending herself um, for being trafficked. And so this is just another symptom. The Kardashians itself, all the whole family is just like built on making a name for themselves, built on white supremacy, built on using black men um, and trashing black women. And what does it look like for us to consciously push back on that um, in a very real way and, and really supporting you know the women, whether it's Santoya Brown, whether it's Crystal Kaiser and making sure that we're protecting our black women and black girls and our black culture and not having these like Kardashians who made sex tapes and are famous for being famous, really trying to just start drama and dragging our black women and our black girls. Let's spin it again. It has landed on dog cops, <laughs> Akila. Yeah, I'm sure you're like, what? why did she submit this? I don't know why. I don't think that dogs should be cops. <laughs> I think it's fucked up. When I'm at the airport, and perhaps I'm carrying some goods, I don't need to have to ask if the dog is a cop, okay? <laughs> Oh, this dog's coming over to me to smell me? I'm a nice person. I assume it's just a dog. This is a dog that is funded by taxpayers to send me to jail. Dogs are good. Why are we doing this? Not that cops are necessarily bad, but... (laughs) I didn't say it. I'm just saying. Why we gotta bring the dogs into it? If I have a problem with the law, why is it a nice four-legged animal that's only going to live 15 years, if it's lucky, that should be outside running and playing fetch, putting me in handcuffs? (laughs) I think it's entrapment every time. (laughs) And that's how I feel about dog cops. (laughs) And someone needed to say it. All right. Let's spin it again. It has landed on high top tables. I'm gonna transition very quickly from high top tables effortlessly, seamlessly into daylight savings time. <laughs> who, who are these people out there that are saying, you know what this table should do? It should be another foot off the ground so your feet can't touch the fucking floor. <laughs> has anyone in this room ever been glad to have been brought to a high top table? No. It's for tall people. What, you don't have enough? You're the, you're the SUVs of humans. You gas-guzzling, traffic-overseeing monsters. Tall people, one more thing. You can't get comfortable at a high-top table. And yeah, your feet can rest on the little circle at the bottom of the stool, but that's one foot option. On the floor, your feet put out, you can bring them out, you can bring them in, you can cross your legs, not at a high-top table. At a high-top table, you are stuck in the one seating position, high above the ground, precarious, <laughs> waiting for your nachos, sitting near the bar with a spotted cow and some cheese curds, realizing that it's Saturday night before daylight savings time begins, and so you're sitting there at this high top table, already off kilter, already uncomfortable, and you realize you lose an hour of sleep. Why? 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 <laughs> Daylight savings time is good. It is good. 
springing ahead sucks. We should spring ahead one last time. We should all get together and celebrate it like a great festival with fireworks and parades and block parties. And we say, this is the last time we spring forward. And then we land at daylight savings time where it gets dark later in the evening. And we say to ourselves, this is what we know as time now. And we never fall back ever again. There are two objections to this. Objection number one, I don't want my kids to have to go to school in the dark. Go to school later. School starts too fucking early. What time, what time does high school start in Milwaukee? 7.25? That is insane. Why are we taking these teenagers with their hormone-rattled brains and getting them up so early? They can barely pay attention getting them to school at 7.30 in the morning in the pitch black darkness. They should go to school at a later time and it will be light out because it will be light later in the morning even though we have never come back from daylight savings time, our new time, the time we all love. And I say that as someone who used to be a late night person, but now because I stopped writing, I'm a morning person. Because once I stopped writing, I became a much better version of myself because writing is a terrible, terrible vocation. No one should do it. <laughs> terrible. Old economy, very bad for you, bad for your relationships. Nobody be a writer unless you really have to do it if it's your real passion. And even then, I'd avoid it. <laughs> the point is, daylight savings time is great. We should... What is wrong with you? What kind of a, what kind of a fucking... Game, video game playing homebound monster vampire are you that you wanted to get dark at 4.30 in the fucking afternoon I'm not gonna sit here and be shouted out by some non-human blood sucking <laughs> night person your skin is the color of a ghost you don't care what time it gets dark out look at you you're trying to stop the sun from all the rest of us is that part of your plan you don't like daylight savings time because you want to eat people earlier in the fucking day. Oh my God. Daylight savings time is the only way we'll win against the vampires. And impossibly, that's our show. I want to thank Angela Lang, Ben Wickler, Akila Hughes, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, and as always, Nancy Pelosi. Thank you, Milwaukee. Have a great night. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.